Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Our latest edition of Soundtracking in association with The White Company features British writer-director Bart Layton. Bart won widespread critical acclaim for his debut, The Imposter, a documentary about the case of the French conman, Frédéric Bourdin, who impersonated a Texas boy who disappeared at the age of 13 in 1994. His new film is also based on an extraordinary true story about a group of ordinary, everyday guys who plan to steal the most expensive book in America. Unlike The Imposter, though, it's predominantly a work of based-on-real-events fiction with great performances by all of the actors in the central roles. But it's more complex than that, of which more shortly. Before then, a word from our friends at The White Company. Now, we all lead very busy lives, and I, for one, really appreciate a good night's sleep, what with being a working mum who always has plenty on the go. The White Company has years of experience in crafting bed linen and more to help us achieve just that. Think of them as your own personal sleep experts. They've now launched a brand new range of products to help you achieve the best sleep possible. It's not simply cosy engulfing bed linen and nightwear, but naturally infused sleep remedies too, which I've genuinely found helpful in steering me towards a peaceful and restorative night's sleep. To find out more, head to thewhitecompany.com or pop into one of their stores. Sleep better, feel better, live better with The White Company. American Animals is scored by Anne Nicotin, who also collaborated with Bart on The Imposter. And it's with her cue, The Real Day of the Robbery, that we begin. I should say that while we always try to avoid spoilers on soundtracking, there are a few more pertinent details about the narrative than usual in this episode, as well as a bit of choice language. Welcome to Soundtrack and thank you so much for your time. I'm going to set the scene actually first because we are sat in the foyer of the wonderful screen on the green in Islington, London. I feel like we've got a whisper. I know, it's posh. Because people are in well. watching your film. No, they've got like glasses of wine and all <laughs> yeah, sorts you know, of stuff. snacks. Mm. But what's really lovely is people coming in and out and we can, we can keep getting wafts of yeah. music. From so why are you going to the loo? It's like <laughs> a really important bit. <laughs> Yeah. Listen, congratulations on American Animals. Oh, thanks so it's much, and thanks for having me. It's it's weird when you um, you do something that you actually listen to. Thank you for for listening. Do you know what I loved about the film? And I'd watched the trailer quite a lot of times because it was really infectious. Um, and I'm a massive fan of Barry Keown as well. I think he's just oh the bomb. I know. Oh, I love should, that. Have I love that boy. It's unbelievable. Um, but going into the cinema and being utterly surprised by the format of it. I don't want to give too much away for people because sure. I want people to experience that as well themselves if they haven't seen it yet. 
that's a rarity these days of you going to the cinema and you get whisked away like that. Yeah, and it's a bit different. Yeah. I think that was probably the gamble. You know, I, <clears throat> I made this doc, The Imposter, and, you know, and it had this unexpected life. And then I got offered some really big movies, and which was lovely and flattering and a bit bewildering as well. And then you have that thing of thinking, and, and you get sent these scripts and all the rest of it, and then there's that thing of... Because you have to live with it for a couple of years, and yeah. you think uh, there's a point where it's like, is this a story you know I really need to spend like two years telling? And then, and I think I got to that point with a few of them, and there was one I was like really close to doing, and then had this moment of kind of about to get on a plane back from LA where I'd been having these meetings about it. And I thought, you know what, it's exactly the kind of movie that even if I didn't completely balls it up, I'd probably watch it like on a plane. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be something yeah. like I need to see that. And so with this, it was really that thing of try and do something a bit different and find a new way of telling a true story that we haven't yeah. really seen before. And, and the gamble being that by mashing it up a bit without wanting to give too much away, but by including the real people who did this thing which is sort of stranger than fiction I think your connection with the story and with them as characters changes a bit because yeah. you kind of have skin in the game somehow yeah definitely you ever feel like you're waiting for something to happen it pains me to see you embarrass your father but you don't know what it is you're in or you're out thing that could make your life special you're in or you're out you're in or you're out how can i tell you if i'm in or i'm out without you telling me the first thing about what i might be in or out of this would be something dangerous and very exciting this library is home to the most valuable book in the united states See how easy this is gonna be. Oh, you know this from all your previous ice? Can I just say how dumb this entire thing is? How do you know no one's gonna get hurt? I don't want you waking up years from now wondering what could have happened and who you could have been. Music's such a big part of the film, both in terms of this fantastic soundtrack that you have of contemporary tracks that are kind of weaved in either, you know, as kind of incidental or part of the narrative, then this fantastic score that you have as well, and you've you same composer that you used for yeah. Pretty Impossible and Nicotin. Is that how you say Yeah, and Nicotin, yeah. Um, she's a wee she's genius, amazing. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean if we can talk a little bit about her first sure, and, yeah. and how you came across her and what it was about her work in particular that you, you know, worked with her on on the imposter and then took that on to yeah, American I Animals. Think, I think I worked with someone that she worked with closely on, on some TV docs that we were doing and then he suddenly wasn't available and he said oh I've got this young woman that I work with and she's super young and and I kind of thought yeah let's give her a go and she's so kind of emotionally smart I guess mm -hmm. because it's really interesting like I'm not I wish I was more like musical or I'd bothered to stick with like playing the piano or something you know and I have we this all do. with my kids and <laughs> yeah. I was like you really need to stick with this and so the conversations we would have would be like, I would be saying things like, you know, those strings makes me feel like 
it gives him too much empowerment or it gives mm-hmm. him too much kind of it feels triumphant and actually don't we want to feel some sense of isolation and, and what instrument would give us that and we would have these conversations which were all about like um yeah like feelings and emotion yeah. and and then she would come back with the musical translation of that mm-hmm. and in such a smart way both of us had only really done non-fiction yeah. you know doc stuff before so we were both sort of shitting our pants a bit with like me with like all of the stuff of like the actors and all of the hundreds of crew that were going to come and yeah. and her with you know the fact that it it is different you know docs have a very different way of using you know equally important but a different way of yeah. using music and so because we have this sort of shorthand for the way we communicate about things and, and we really get into it. And I always bring her on really early. Like I send oh, her the great. script when I'm still writing it, when it's still at the beginning, and then she'll start writing stuff. And, and in this case, she wrote things which were like ideas inspired by scenes that I was writing in the script and then she'd send them back and that would then influence my thinking about kind of the rhythm of the scene or you know how propulsive it might want to be and then that in turn influences kind of the number of shots you might want so it's a sort of weird you know symbiotic thing and 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 so she's on really early and then we exchange you know songs and and tracks from bands that we love and in this there was this whole need to create four different themes for these four characters yeah. and that was all kind of like what kind of a person are they and what were the movies that they would have loved yeah. you know and what was the soundtrack that they should have yeah and that could be like a really orchestral thing or it could be a really electronic thing and, and there's both in this movie I love Warren's theme at times yeah it's brilliant it's kind yeah, of that was really inspired by i found this crazy bit of music which was from a, like a really early morricone film it's italian and i can't even the translation is like four sentences long it's like this <laughs> yeah. crazy italian thing it's like owed to a like forgotten man who's lost his I don't know what it but like it's this weird sort of like circus music yeah 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 you know and there's all kinds of weird like bings and like strings and and it's all a little bit kind of out of time and so that and and that seemed to suit Warren because he's kind of clown like but he's also um deeply naughty and it needed that kind of like (laughs) Tim Burton kind of yeah 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 yeah
there's a couple as well that I pulled out that really kind of resonated me. When you listen to the score away from within the film, and it's beautiful to sit and listen to as well as a whole piece. Well, I haven't really done that. I'm, like, I must do it. You I, should. I kind of need to sort of <laughs> yeah. see what it does without the yeah. pictures. Yeah. Um, art has to be more. Is beautiful. intention there's this piece called first plans yeah which kind of starts with that kind of like almost kind of screeching strings that then goes into this almost it's got that little nod to that kind of like you know that kind of funky bass of sort yeah. of ocean exactly yeah. thing with with the movie was like because the idea uh, I suppose was like that um, it's about kind of life imitating movies and it's yeah. about these quite lost young men who try to inhabit a kind of movie fantasy for as long as they can and they want to spend more and more time in that and and there's almost a sense that no one wants to kind of pull a ripcord and say we've gone as far as we should go with this and, and we shouldn't cross this line and and so the idea with everything about the, whether it was the camera movement, the color palette, and, and obviously the score and the soundtrack was to do with 
this idea that they start in something that feels naturalistic, so it's all quite pared back, and then as they get deeper into the kind of plotting of it, and they get deeper into the sort of movie um, fantasy, we should also move close to that. So, so we go from kind of electronic stuff and quite sparse and quite kind of, um, I guess, pretty restrained, yeah. to we start to bring in the instruments that you associate with the kinds of movies that they were watching and that they were sort of falling into, right up to the point where they're completely detached from reality and we go in and, and, and at that point, you know, you know, as you'll know, notice, you know, we borrow expressly from a whole load of those movies, you know, whether it's Ocean's Eleven or Once Upon a Time in the West, you know, we borrow yeah. not just actual tracks but also bits of sound effects and things because... So what I wanted was that you would that we all kind of become a little complicit in it and we also get a bit lost in the movie and at that point you know we're not hearing the real guys we're sort of like yeah we should we, we, you know we want to know what's <laughs> going to happen when you yeah. go through with this and then there's this point where they do cross the line and, and the idea at that point was to go kind of really abruptly back into kind of documentary naturalistic yeah. and then she's done these amazing tracks uh, which are super propulsive. and then we and we lose the, all the orchestrated kind of yeah. the instrumental stuff, and then we go back into stuff that feels more like electronic. There's this one, I think it's, um, I think it's just she's just called it "Get Out, Get Out, Get Out" or something like yeah. that, and it's really like a proper balls out um, kind of, you know, like escape moment. But it's also we've gone back to something that feels more raw and kind of unpleasant than the kind of fun movie that we were inhabiting before, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, totally. story that you read about this real event on a plane to New mm -hmm. York, is that right? Yeah. And then you were like, I've got, we've got to make, make it into a film. Was it easy to write? Was it quick to write? No, it was weird because there wasn't really a template for it because I, I was writing to the guys who at that point were in prison. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I had plenty of time on their hands for correspondence and they would write these, they had a limited amount of papers so they'd write these scrawl, tiny writing and there were four of them, so I, would ha I had like four new different pen pals. versions. Yeah, new pen pals. <laughs> and then that's how we, you know, that's how I started writing the script. And I was doing it in a pretty like, because I'd never written a screenplay before, and I thought, I wonder how this is going to turn out. And I was doing it kind of cheekily a day a week while Dimitri and I were running this company. <laughs> yeah. and, and then it just sort of, like, you, you, that's the thing. You, you create these characters and then they start having lives and conversations. And So that was easy because I already knew who they were as, as real Other characters. People. But the tricky bit is that, you know, most true stories just do not 
fit neatly into a Hollywood structure. And I guess that's why they they end up getting really, there's a lot of artistic license. And I felt like the thing with this was not only should the real guys be in it in some way, but actually we should be slavishly kind of um, restricted to, to the truth. Yeah. And so, you know, when I would show it to other friends who were like what I considered to be like proper screenwriters, they would go, well, this is easy. You just need to lose one of these characters and why don't you combine that guy and that guy and then it all makes it easy. And I was like, well, no, because the idea is they're going to be in it. Yeah. And so I wrote the script with the voices of the real guys based on what they said in their letters. And I figured when they finally came out of prison, we'll sit down, we'll do the interview and they'll say basically a version of that. Yeah. And, of course, they didn't at all. And so then I was like, oh, shit, I've, I've sold this script. And I promised <laughs> everyone I could. But what you, the, the thing you don't want to do is then try and get your documentary characters to suddenly deliver lines or start yeah, performing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, feed them stuff. Yeah, because yeah. then the thing that they're supposed to do, which is bring that authenticity and naturalism, just evaporates. Yeah. So, so then I had to call up and go to the producers go mm, didn't go exactly to plan and can we pause everything so I can rewrite the script around what they actually said rather than what I thought they were going to say and, and that, a lot of what they did say on the day was, was better it was yeah. just different from mm. what I'd written did yeah. they ever talk about music with you? yeah I got them to compile playlists oh, for each of the actors so like it, and it was oh, more like great. what were you listening to at the time and so because there was this whole thing about how like the actors really wanted to hang out with the real guys. Yeah. The real guys were like 10 years older. Most of that time they'd been in prison, so they were very different people. Yeah. And I felt like they're also likable. And I, I worried that they would, you know, they were going to get together with the actors and then Warren, you know what Warren's like, yeah. right? He would sit down with Evan Peters, who was playing him, and he would say, listen, just don't make me out to be too, <laughs> too violent. And I just wanted the actors to be completely sort of liberated from any of that yes. stuff. So what I said was, well, and I showed them the bits of the doc stuff that I'd already shot. And then I was like, well, why don't you create playlists for each of the guys Brilliant. who are going to be? And they were all really different. And they all were really, you know, obviously it's not surprising, but they were really kind of emblematic of, of who He's each of them were. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, Chaz, who's like super jockish and has got a very conventional like music yeah. taste. And then there was Eric, who's a little angry and he was into actually kind of stuff that I guess I was into, which was all like the Pixies and mm -hmm. all of that sort of stuff. Rage. And, uh, yeah. And yeah, very much so, you know, and he was an angry young yeah. guy. And, and, uh, and then Warren was like super sort of eclectic, you know, and everything from, you know, like, I think, he, you know, he had Tom Petty and he had, like, Joni Mitchell and yeah, all yeah, sorts yeah. of stuff. Yeah, it was really unexpected. Were you able to use any of those songs that were on those playlists actually in the film then? There was one which kind of inspired a moment in the film where... So I would go, like, if I was getting, you know, like, stressing out in the build-up to, like, the movie and stuff. Because the whole thing was coming from Docs and doing this, which wasn't a massive film, but it was quite big given that I had never been on a film set before, really. So I was like in a full-on flap about the whole thing and felt like... Well, you can't tell. Yeah, well, yeah, thanks. No, but I, my reaction to it was to just like completely over-prepare like, yeah. and, and storyboard everything. Not that I showed it to anyone, but, just, but I would go for like a run and I would listen to their playlist and then this song came on which is this Q-tip track, you know, breathe, breathe and stop. stop. Yeah, and I was the thing I was thinking about was the 
the journey to the robbery. And actually that bit of the score was written by this Mexican composer called Camilla Baldi, who I met at the Skywalker Ranch. And Hold on, you were at the Skywalker Ranch? Yeah, that was bananas. Oh my God, Yeah. I'm so jealous. Yeah, that's a bonkers <sighs> place, yeah. I was, oh man. I, I, I went for a run round the, the lake they have there, this incredibly beautiful lake, yeah. and I was like, Oh, this is amazing, this lake, it's right, you know, and they're like, oh yeah, he, he just built that lake a few years ago. It's like, what? Yeah, apparently he was like, George Lucas sort of looking out his office window, and he was like, you know, and whether this is true or not, but it's one of the long gu- standing guys, and he's like, you know, what we really need there is a, is a lake to go with that mountain, so, and it's called, e- it's called Ewok Lake. I think the rule is you're not really supposed to talk about it once. It's like Fight yeah. Club, basically. Yeah, but it is really... Um, nuts and and you know and the whole tech building where you do all of the sound mixing and everything yeah. is is he's based it on a tuscan vineyard on a villa and so you go and so from the outside it looks like this amazing aging tuscan winery and it looks old and he's had the bricks flying in from god knows where oh and god. then you go in and they've got the most high-tech shit you've ever seen in the basement is like this 600 seat state-of-the-art cinema wow. when we were there they were mixing the the, the last oh, star Shadow. wars yeah so there was a whole like section that you weren't allowed to go yeah. into so that was obviously where we were trying to go into yeah, yeah. i've had and so many people on the podcast who have had various experiences at skywalker ranch garth jennings talked about staying there when he was doing his his animated film sing and he was like, yeah, I felt like I was 12. Yeah. And then... Um, and they have bikes everywhere. Yeah, so that's like, how yeah. you, you kind of like, you, they just leave bicycles for you and you zip about the place and might bump into someone like fabulous. Amazing. And, yeah. Anyway, you were telling the story about Camilla. Oh yeah. So, so, she, so she wrote this one track, which is The Journey. And it, and it comes out of... So Barry, Kyogen, he is like greatest fidget on the planet like he does not stop moving around and we were shooting this scene where they're waiting for the car to come to take them to their house when they're all dressed as old men yeah and he was fiddling with these little it was like a salt and pepper shaker on the table yeah. and I, was, I said to him why don't you just start beating out a heartbeat on that yeah. and it will really piss Evan off who's who's stressed and you know we're in this very tense moment and so out of that beat that Barry starts we wrote this kind of, I say we, what am I talking about? Camilla and obviously Anne got involved as well, you know, wrote this thing where out of that starts this, this kind of this bass line. Yeah.
then we start adding in these other little tension bits and then the windscreen wipers go yeah. and we bring that in and then as they're shutting the door there's these beeps so we bring those in and so all of these little sounds that appear start adding into the tension and then I'd always loved that scene in you know once upon a time in the west with the thing swinging you know that amazing noise yeah. and so I found a pencil sharpener that I then put a version of that noise which obviously doesn't really fit the pencil sharpener but it, it fits the terrible kind of churning feeling of when everything when you're that nervous and the sound of a clock is ticking louder than you ever yeah. Can you remember hearing it, and then this pencil shot, and then all of these, you know, and the squeak of the gloves on the thing, you know. Yeah. So we, that was a moment where the sound design, which is done by an amazing guy called um, Andrew Sturck and Paul Davis, who do most of um, Lynn Ramsey's stuff, and you know, just a couple of geniuses. Mm. So that's where the sound design and the music start to become the same thing. Yeah. And that was really. Cool, but there was a moment where I was thinking about how that was going to be so incredibly tense, and then this Q-tip track came on, and I was like, "This is so the opposite." And I was thinking, "Well, maybe it'd be funny if, while they're on the way, he puts the radio on to try and break the horrible tension, yeah. and then this track just comes, yeah. and then suddenly they're like, oh, we're in a totally different movie. It's all cool, and now it's like it's got this killer <laughs> yeah. bass, and then just as quickly, you know, the other guy turns it off, and so occasionally you'll hear a track, and it." Will spark a whole idea for like a little moment in the movie, and in this case, not because it fit, but because it didn't fit. Yeah, well, the contradictions I think sometimes work even yeah. even better. And I think you get, you know, a lot of the scenes in this, you know, I wanted them to be kind of bordering on being comedic and also tragic as well. And one benefits the other in a way. If you can get a comedic moment in the middle, you know, then you can kind of up the tension, or if you up the tension more, you can get a better laugh. At yeah, the, yeah, yeah. You know, so they kind of sit kind of weirdly complimentary sometimes. A hard time if your motion is still. Let me move some things around because the lyrics is ill. Abstract, you know my sticky D in here. Get on and swear it's in here. But your girl just move to the joint in the club in the car for crew. Bruh, look, the movement is on. Mild man and mommies in Victoria Thorns. I get my rhyme on dust. Guaranteed to make it right if your night is a bust. You vibrant and you fresh and all. Original We're talking about how you can sometimes fall in love with a track that can be dangerous for, for various reasons. And I've got the soundtrack list here, which I have to say is absolutely brilliant. There's a real mix of stuff. I had it on, it's really funny, I had it on in the car this afternoon as I went to pick my nine, my 10 year old up from a play date. And I'm glad it was just him and not the five year old as well, because he's definitely inquisitive about language at the minute, you know, especially in music and F-bombs and all that kind of thing. But this is just the most brilliant collection of songs that's on the American Animal soundtrack. Where do you start when you're trying to place known music? Sometimes it's written in the script and sometimes there are things that you will kind of feel are totally on the money in terms of not just the rhythm of the scene but the kind of emotional value. 
I never worry about the lyrics. Like the lyrics often are mm. so counter to what the you know like I. For a long time, I had that Fleetwood Mac track, Secondhand News, in yeah. for their arrival in New York. And that's a song about, I don't know what it's about, but it's not about good things, <laughs> as I remember. But the emotion of it is so up and empowering. And it's like it had this, it spoke to this whole thing of like newness and the thrill of the new, you know, they've never been to out of Kentucky before. And, all. Um, and also, you know, the, I guess, it's probably on the nose for an American audience, but you know, that kind of back in, the New York Groove also had that thing, but it's also propulsive in a way that is very useful for cutting yeah. to. So there were things that I was thinking of specifically, almost kind of shooting the shots that I felt would, you know, there's a moment where there's a cymbal crash and I would shoot uh, a woman, you know, throwing water into the gutter, you know, in Chinatown with the, with the express view. Well, that will work beautifully on that cymbal crash and things like that. But then, of course, like you say, what happens is then you go and find out how much it costs, and it's like, oh, fuck. weeks given over to trying to replace tracks that I'd fallen in love with like the Doors song Peace Frog which is a song I remember you know having on in the car with my dad on like yeah. you know long trips up to Scotland and things like that and and, and there's something super modern about that track yeah. you know that it doesn't age it's I always thought it's really similar to like there's the same riff or whatever it is in that is it the Soup Dragons? Do you remember I'm free? Yeah, yeah. And it's that it's got this kind of propulsive, super cool yeah, yeah, and yeah. and the weird thing is like everyone comes out the cinema going, What is that track? And because it's not like a, a it's one not that everyone big doors it, track, and yeah. it doesn't have that their classic kind of keyboard thing yeah. going on in the same way. But that was a perfect example of like, they turned around and they were like, that's gonna be 180 grand or whatever it is. And I, we were trying to explain, we we're like, you know, it's not the Avengers. And that's the thing, if the band aren't around to be able to go to them and say, lawyers, can you just it? watch this and yeah. if you dig it, well, let's let's do a deal. Sadness. 
And that is what had happened to me in the past with the imposter, with Bowie and with yeah, um, Cat Steve. Just sending the film and the clip, yeah, and writing and begging and saying this, and also writing and kind of explaining why it feels like it speaks to that moment in the film and the whole spiel of gushing, but also sort of trying to make your case, I guess. Yeah. But then if the artists aren't available and like you say, it's lawyers or it's the estate and the only thing those guys are interested in is, is did money. He say, did he say what he thought of the film? All I got was that he was willing for us to Great, so you want? Yeah. I'm up on the 11th and I'm watching the cruisers below. arrive in New York as well there's a real musical shift almost of kind of like or it's almost like musically you're dropped in New yeah, York yeah and that again is so like that clever. thing of, and also like the colour palette changes because it's like we've been in this sort of stultifying world and it's that thing of suddenly they're in like a movie scape and they go under the L train you know <laughs> yeah. from the French connection and then they go through China to, you know it was all of those references since someone pointed out that New York Groove was used in another movie, and you know, for a New York, for an American audience, it's maybe too on the nose. But I, I was like, God, that is like isn't that how you feel the first time you ever go to New York. It's yeah. like whoosh, here we are. Yeah. You know, feel um, like you're on a movie set. Yeah, totally. That's a thing of being a Brit and thinking in a slightly different way. And you know, people have commented that there are songs in the movie which have been in other films, and that was kind of partly the point. A little less conversation. It's like yeah. it's a real like you talk about when you were explaining it earlier about the whole point is that they feel like they're in a movie, and yeah. and that's just such a clever way of doing that as well. Yeah, and that's, everyone associates that's, and it with. You know, they talked about watching Ocean's Eleven over and over again, and Warren even talks in the movie about how. There aren't manuals on how you plan a heist, and so they hire. They go to Blockbuster and hire yeah. 
the thing about them is that if they'd watched them to the end, they would have figured out that they all pretty much end really badly, <laughs> you know, and they didn't quite get that far. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really want to have a little less conversation. It was one that, you know, we shot this sequence, which is their fantasy of how it's all going to play out. And mm -hmm. it was supposed to be this kind of, and it's this single shot and it was going to be seen. And then the editor who was back in London for the crew when we, when we wrapped, he was like, put this on. And he put the track on. And I was like, oh, it's so obvious. Even though we were kind of, it was a pastiche of Ocean's yeah. Eleven. I was like, but that, it just stuck. Because it was like gentleman thieves, it just worked so well. It so does, in the right way as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I got an email from Soderbergh because oh, wow. I'd written him asking if we could use a clip from Ocean's Eleven. And we just didn't hear anything. And I sent him the script. And there's a clip from The Killing. And, mm -hmm. and the idea was that they were going to be watching this, this sequence where George Clooney is explaining the plan. And then there's these cutaways of Matt Damon and all these guys. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly there'll be cutaways of our guys. And it would be like they're in the same room kind yeah. of thing. And, and anyway, we never heard. But I just got an email saying they fucking loved the film. So, and, and obviously appreciated that we'd made these little references to his movie as well. Yeah. Nice. It's like given us the clip, man. Yeah, it's too, yeah. Anyway. You're really long at replying to emails, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. A little more bite, a little less spark. A little less fight, a little more spark. Close your mouth and open up your heart and maybe satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. Baby, close your eyes and listen to the music, dig to the summer breeze. It's a groovy night and I can show you how to use it. To come along with me and put your mind at ease. Hey, a little less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation ain't satisfaction in me. A little more bite, a little less bark. A little less fight, a little more spark. Shut your mouth and open up your heart. And baby, satisfy me. Satisfy me, baby. Did you think about the music shift or the music shift in when it was fact or fiction? You know, in terms of was that something you spoke to to Anne about at all? About yeah, kind of. There were there's there were these there's a, a handful of scenes in the movie where you kind of don't know whether they really happened or you know you you know we've got unreliable narrators and. We've also got, yeah, to say the least, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love the ambiguity of it at the end, though. I kind yeah. of, like, I think it's the yeah. It's so brilliant. right. So coming back to that, so that ambiguity of like, w w how much of the fantasy did he kind of fabricate or yeah. create? So the scenes that were kind of basically narrated by Warren, which was sort of his version of what happened. So when he goes to Amsterdam, and he yeah. To, so we shot those very specifically. It's a movie within a movie kind of thing. And those were the ones where, when we scored them, the idea was to really go large in, in movie. So there's that track where, I'm not sure what, it, what she's called it, but where he goes to see the counterfeiter. Oh, and it's yeah. kind of got a Morricone sort of like, yeah. it's dark and there's an oboe, or it might even be a bassoon, and it's got an old school Morricone feel, you know, so... Because in Warren's mind, he's constantly in a movie. He's mm -hmm. like, and at that point, he's in a western or he's in a film noir you know so so those were the kind of things
more so than the fiction because the fiction non-fiction because the game was you know the financiers were so like freaked out about the idea of putting like why you, you can put doc stuff in in what could otherwise be quite a commercial movie mm. I didn't want to flag it up too much I wanted it to kind of be seamlessly yeah. coexisting in, in the fabric of the, the movie so it's your first screenplay you wrote in you've got to have a taste to do more of this type of thing though because it just feels oh yeah definitely yeah. yeah I mean I think once I got past the the anxiety you know because that's the, I think the thing that the moment I finally relaxed was when we got to rehearsals and these amazing actors show up and then they start breathing life into this thing you'd written and I'm not the kind of you know I know a lot of writers they they sort of sit at home and they like stand up and act it all out or they they get someone else to yeah and I just can't bear that so I don't do like table reads I feel it's like such a bummer so I didn't know until they showed up that the words that I'd written were going to sound real and then actors do this kind of amazing thing they do and it's like alchemy it's like wow you've j and, and so suddenly you watch them and there's not any bit of you which thinks that that was something you wrote it's mm. like it, they own it and and that was when I was like oh okay this this probably is going to work and um, there's a lot about docs which is magical which is that you don't really know where you're going to end up when you mm -hmm. when you start on the journey and with fiction you know when you've got script and you've got that crew and you've got that pressure of making the day and getting you really have to know where you're going you know you really have to know like super well you know if people are standing around on set and time and money is ticking yeah. by and you're like oh, let's see what happens yeah. you know it's it's that's not a nice place to be what did the boys think of the film the real it? guys yeah they really i mean you know there's a lot in it that they've still deeply ashamed of obviously yeah. um, and but they they what they I think they you know they're really behind it they felt it was true to their memory of it mm -hmm. you know the interesting thing about this is that what starts to happen is that the movie and this happened with the imposter as well the movie starts to kind of replace their memories yeah. you know so well, their memories yeah. and the movie start to get all twisted they can't remember what's what now you know what I mean I had this conversation with someone yesterday I was asking someone what their earliest earliest memory of something and they said well that's the weird thing because I don't know and I think that the memory that I have is not my actual memory it's based on a picture or yeah. a conversation that I've had about something yeah, so, yeah. Totally, you've created yeah. a new reality for them well, I mean, you know, and, and yeah, I, I mean, you know, it's so weird, isn't it? Like, I remember with the imposter, you know, the sister ended up thinking that we had shot in all of the actual locations that it had happened, and I was like, they don't exist anymore, and, you know, but, mm -hmm. but in her mind, that had become her memory yeah. of it, and, you know, memory's this really fragile thing, you can kind of not erase it but you can almost overwrite it with yeah. something else and you can I heard a mate of mine at a dinner party telling my story like of something that happened to me as something that happened to him and I was like what, what, Tom that isn't your that didn't happen to you and he was like yeah it did and we had this big argument I was like where were you and what I was like I told you this and it, but in his mind it, it was all from his yeah, you know and he yeah. remembered it visually and everything you know yeah yeah, you've stolen my memory, man. Yeah. What's next? Do you know? I'm, work, I'm just kind of finishing a, a script for... And it will be the first thing I've done, which is not 
a true story at all. Um, but it's it's actually no more outlandish than either this story or the imposter or whatever. And it's but it's also set in the, in the deep south. It's somewhere between like Fargo and Funny Games. It's like a twisted. It's it's a kind of extortion caper that goes obviously goes not quite to plan. But it's really there's a whole Trumpian kind of element to Amazing. it because it's about a it's sort of about a charlatan that no one really wants to believe is a charlatan. They want the version that they want to believe, mm. you know, which is this seems like this whole relevant thing, you know, and so. I can't say too much about it, but it's an amazing story. And, and I guess the challenge with that will be to get the audience to engage with it almost as if it were a true story. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for your time. Oh, mate, it's such a pleasure. I feel like I've just garbled on. No, it's been it. amazing. And, uh, and congratulations on Americans. I can't actually wait to go and see it again at cinema, to be honest, because I laughed a lot as well. There's Good. some really great funny moments in it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's such an, a bonkers yeah. story, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, go see it, it's wicked. Bart, thank you, mate. Cheers. Oh, mate, thank you for having me. That's I'm Alive by Johnny Thunder, rounding off our latest episode of Soundtracking with Bart Layton in association with The White Company. My huge thanks to Bart for taking the time to talk to us. American Animals is on general release now and is quite unlike anything I've ever seen in a long time. It's bloody brilliant too. Now we'll put up a Spotify playlist for this show as we do with every episode you can find via edithbowman.com which is also the place to catch up with all of our previous episodes. The aforementioned Mr Soderbergh is amongst the wide range of guests. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do keep spreading the word on your socials. Next up is another Soundtracking Live, recorded a couple of weeks ago with Irish director Lenny Abramison, who joined me with key members of his team, composer Stephen Rennicks, editor Nathan Nugent and producer Gail Egan at London's BFI to discuss their latest film, The Little Stranger. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. 
Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.